0: Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is from the Sword of the Spirit's Bible Conference. This is the question and answer session of Sunday the 23rd of February, 2014. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis and Pastor Brian Beaver.
1: I know you know my answer to this one, but I'm not sure we should share it in this mixed congregation. So I'll let you answer your part first. All right. What's the most embarrassing thing you've ever done while preaching?
0: <laughs> mine mine was uh the fact that i I wasn't even pastoring my church yet I had just filled in, and I guess it was the third week that I'd been there, and I was there about six months before they voted on me and or asked me to be pastor so uh this was like the third week that I had been there, and I'm preaching, and of course y'all know I move around a lot, and I take my coat off and um I took my coat off and um I'm preaching and Veronica is motioning to me from the from the second row where she normally sits, and says um, something that I couldn't understand. And I just kind of didn't ignore her, but I just kept I kept preaching because I didn't want to distract you know the congregation. And uh, she gets up and goes back to back. And she comes back a few minutes later and she sits down and she's got a three by five index card and she's written something on it. And I start looking at it. She's got it held up to her like this and where nobody else can see it. And on the front of it, it says, zip it up, Brian. <laughs> My fly was done, undone. <laughs> I've been preaching now for 20 minutes, you know. Well, I'll be honest with you. I know she likes me to, to get to the end of the message and pray. I thought she meant, you need to cut this short. You need to zip it up. It's time to, time to tighten it up. <laughs> well, I said, you know, I said, some of you in here want me to zip it up, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to keep preaching, Amen. Your flies undone, yeah, your flies done, Brian, and I was like, whoa. (laughs) And so I just basically, I just when when I saw it, I just I just jumped around real quick like this, and I said, every head bowed, every eye closed, please, and and I and I zipped it up. That's my embarrassing moment.
1: Amen. Want your No. (laughs) No. I know know about yours, but I I honestly can't tell you. (laughs) (laughs) I was very young, very inexperienced, very zealous, and I said something I shouldn't have. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) That's
0: a good way of putting it. (laughs) Yeah, it... uh...
1: I honestly don't know how to tell it in, in in a mixed congregation. It was that, it was that embarrassing, <laughs> and uh, it was it was so bad that uh, I was uh, I was a young preacher and I was supply pastoring in my home church in North Carolina. And of course, our sermons immediately after the sermon they were taken. This was back before all the digital stuff, and so it was like you know Pony Express. As soon as you finished preaching, somebody ran the the uh, the tape to the radio station and went on the radio station in the afternoon. And uh, yeah, one of the deacons said, "I think we better use one of the old sermons for today." <laughs> We're not going to put that one on, but uh, let's just say we we can say some things sometimes without even realizing it. Because uh, man, I've declared I hadn't said what they said I said. They went back and played it for me on the tape, and I sure had. <laughs> and uh, and I wish I could tell you, but I don't. I'm glad I can't tell you. <laughs> We've all done embarrassing things. Amen. <laughs> All right. On a more serious note, question is asked: Is anxiety a sin? And uh, and I guess the simple answer I would have to say yes. The Bible says, "Be careful for nothing; that's be anxious for nothing." Um, it is a lack of faith on our part. Uh, it's not, you know, many many acts of sin on our parts, especially as Christians, is not uh, what we do, but what we don't do. And uh, so it 's not trusting God enough at the same time, I doubt very seriously if there's anybody in here that 's not guilty of it uh, that 's why we all must must die daily and uh, so time that, uh, that really you know again, it was preached this week, I preached it literally uh, just in the last few weeks here to, uh, to our church, use some of the same passages. Uh, that, uh, uh, you know, when God, you know, when he literally uh, closed the field as he does and, and, and the, when he feeds the birds as he does and all these things, you know, you know, and he asks us, you know, you know, who giving thought can add one one cubit to your statue? You know, you can't change how tall you are. Bless God. It don't matter how much you worry about it. You can't do anything about it. And uh, and of course, uh, we know that God does care for us and that God is there for us. And so, you know, we all have anxious moments. Uh, but when we do. We just need to get back to God's word and get on our knees and trust Him, because it's a lack of trust that uh, that brings about that anxiety. I wish that uh, I wish my flesh was strong enough that I was never ever anxious over anything, but the best we could try to do is try to catch ourselves and realize that you know, hey, is God in control in my life? Is He able? Is
0: His promises sound? Uh, then I shouldn't be worrying about this. Anything you want to add, brother? Yeah, just to to, to dovetail on the, onto that. You know, anxiety is concern out of control. You can be concerned about things. There's nothing wrong with being concerned, right? But anxiety and fretting and worrying is concern out of control. You just have to turn it over to the Lord. We all know that the Scripture says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not to your own understanding, right? And all your ways acknowledge Him, He'll direct you past. So you ain't got no reason to be anxious if you just turn everything over to Him. Good question. I wish I hope somebody gave an answer to it. Why does God give different Christians
1: different convictions? Is it a Tower of Babel style answer? Or does no other denomination study the Bible as much as Southern Baptist? Have we got a Southern Baptist in here anywhere? <laughs> I only know one Southern Baptist. I forgot about that. Why does God give different Christians different convictions? We'll forgive you as long as God will. <laughs> Is it a Tower of Babel style answer, or does no other denomination study the Bible as much as Southern Baptists? Well, Southern Baptists are a group of Baptists, and I guess you're talking of a of, of, of Baptist in general or whatever. But uh, uh, you know, there's there's a, there's a whole 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 bunch could be uh, could be said about this and. Uh, uh, again, what's one of the amazing things? As you meet more Christians, and and some can be so, uh, so committed about one thing that they've seen in, in in the Word of God. And I think there's a number of things we all, we all grow at different times and in different ways. And uh, some people, you know, an illustration. I I think there is uh, things that can be wrong in one person's life and not another. There's some things God doesn't draw the line. For example, I would preach long and hard to my people. Uh, that the Bible teaches us uh, very much when it comes to uh, to modesty. Uh, this is for men and women both. Uh, you know, it is wrong for a Christian to dress immodest. There is no excuse for it. Uh, but you get different people that will decide what modesty is. Uh, you know, how short can shorts be, and how short can skirts be, and how low can fronts be, and how tight uh, can things be, and all these different things. And, uh, you know, I'm glad I'm not people's Holy Spirit. I think that we have to, uh, uh, for me... As a pastor, um, I think that uh, my responsibility is to preach the word of God, uh, and God tells us as Christian men and gentlemen uh, and ladies that we should uh, uh, that we should be modest in, in our in our dress. We should uh, dress in a way that uh, would not draw attention to our bodies, uh, and uh, and of course, you know, for me, some of those convictions, you know, might be different uh, than they are for for you. Another illustration, uh, a dear friend of mine, that. Uh, was a deacon in, uh, in in my home church in the states. Uh, he had a pastor that when he was saved, uh, he was a professional gambler, and he made his living uh, playing billiards, playing pool. And uh, so when he got saved, to him, uh, the worst thing in the in the world when it comes to sin was a pool table. And uh, of course, uh, uh, my uh, my friend had never had a problem with billiards, and he had a billiards table in his uh, in his house in the basement. Uh, but uh, again, not out of hiding it, not like he couldn't see what it was. But uh, you know, when his pastor was coming, he had a, a cover that he put over it, so that it wasn't just standing out there. And I think the Apostle Paul teaches us that uh, you know we should consider other people. Uh, and so, you know, I can understand why that that pastor had a conviction because pool to him was a real weakness that uh, that he saw as something that he ought not to have anything to do with. So some things vary. Um, everybody is responsible. See, the one thing that uh, I can tell you this, and I'm not sure you know. I mean, I'm sure people here come from all kinds of different churches. There's no denomination that uh, uh, has got the, uh, uh, the hold on, on the Word of God. We're all responsible as individuals. One thing that uh, historically that uh, our Baptist forefathers have always stood for is individual soul liberty. Uh, each individual uh, is the one that is responsible to God. Uh, and so, uh, uh, you know, I guess that uh, convictions are always going to be different. My encouragement to you is that uh, the only way for you to live is according to God's Word. And uh, if you've got a question, I would even say this, whether you be a, uh, a young lady or a young man, uh, you know, if you, if you look in the mirror and you have to question uh, whether that your dress is appropriate, then uh, it's probably not. Uh, we shouldn't be trying to push the borderlines and, and when they, they're raising questions and things like that. Convictions can run right the way through. You know what I mean? Uh, Christians have all kinds of things from just about anything that you can imagine uh, that uh, some feel is right and some feel is wrong. And uh, in the end, when you stand before God, He's not going to ask you if you did something because I thought it was right or wrong, but whether you were obeying God's Word... So my, my simple, you know, not trying to avoid it more, just you've got to read God's Word. And if you've got a question about any conviction in your life, look at everything that the Bible has to say about it, not just selected verse here or there. Look at everything that God has to say about it and let God speak to you as an
0: individual about it. I guess you have to, you have to get down to the definition of what a conviction is. A lot of people define convictions as something that's, you know, uh, there's a line been drawn in the sand, but a lot, a lot of times, if you're not careful, uh, you'll make something that is a preference in your life a conviction. Uh, I like to put it this way, and I'm just a, I'm just a bread and butter guy, meat and potatoes. So I just put it right down where we live. A conviction, is something you're willing to die for. Uh, you willing to die for whether a woman ought to wear britches or not? That's your business. But I don't think that's a conviction. I think that's a preference. You got it. Conviction and preferences sometimes get get misconstrued don't make your preferences you know convictions and vice versa okay Uh, conviction is something you're willing to die for all right I'm willing to go I'm willing to go to my grave over the fact that Jesus Christ is the only way I'm willing to go to my grave and willing to die for the fact that his blood is the only atonement for the sins of all mankind and his death, his death was sufficient for all men. I'm willing to, go to, I'm willing to go to my grave for that. I'm willing to go to my grave that he was virgin born. Yeah, those are convictions. But um, I think sometimes we try to make preferences, convictions, because it makes us look um, more intellectual, smarter. But fact of the matter is, your convictions better line up with what the Scripture says. Period. Okay. And like he said, nobody's got a corner uh, on uh, the Bible. You better make sure. You better make sure that. Uh, you better make sure that you. Just make sure that you realize that, like he said, uh, that that everybody is a believer priest, and you need to be fully persuaded in your own mind, as Paul told the church in Rome. And, and, and I'll just
1: add, you know, so many things. Um, I think his brother Brian said he's only, I'm the only preacher he knows where you can look and see, you know, sermon number 56 in this series or sermon, sermon number 103 in this series. <laughs> Part 62. <laughs> but I don't know. I've, I've lost track. I think it's uh, at least three years or something that our, our f- main focus of our Sunday morning services have been on contending for the faith and uh and one thing that i have tried in that time to teach our people is that really what brother brian was saying there is that there are foundational fundamental truths that we have got to agree on if we're part of the christian faith but once we have nailed down those fundamental there are a lot of things that are important and a lot of things that are preferences And there needs to be grace. I could give you all kind of illustrations. For example, should a woman wear a head covering when she's in a service? There are many churches that would believe that a woman shouldn't be in a church service without a head covering on her head. Uh, There are others that believe that that head covering is the natural hair that God has has given them. And they all believe it genuinely and sincerely, which is right. Both of them can't be right. Well, I don't know. Um, You know, the thing that uh, I know that the Bible teaches us is that it's not something that we ought to be contentious over. Um, and, uh, and I guess that, uh, I try to teach our people, look, there are ladies in our church that feel that they should cover their head when they're in a service. Well, you better not be saying nothing to them by hurting their feelings and telling them, you know, that they're wrong, or you can going have to deal with me. Uh, and of course, more of our ladies that don't, that believe that their hair is, well, you better not be messing with them, telling them they got to put one on either. Um, and, uh, and I think, you know, that there are things like that, um, you know, one of my favorite subjects is with a lot of people, I guess, is the Second Coming. And uh, God willing, I'll be teaching eschatology here in just a few weeks at the, at the Bible College. And and one of the things that uh, uh, that I try to focus that meant, if you don't believe that Jesus Christ is coming back, you're not part of the same Christian faith that I am, because Jesus is coming back. And I don't know how you can be part of the Christian faith and not believe He's coming back for us. But we've got all kinds of differences in the timing as to when He's coming and how He's coming and all these different things. And, uh, and we spell it out very clearly in our statement of faith of our church. But that doesn't mean that the church down the street, the same millennial where we're premillennial, that they're heretics and they're all going to hell. Uh, you know, the simple fact is, you know, is that uh, you better have a conviction that Jesus Christ is coming back again. Uh, but we all have to realize that we come to a lot of things to deal with that, that we ought to be, uh, we ought to be a little uh, less gung-ho on than sometimes. Now, it's pretty important that if you're going to be a member of this church... You better realize that all the teaching and preaching is going to believe that there's going to be a pre-tribulational rapture, there's going to be seven years of tribulation, there's going to be a return of Christ with the saints to this church, there's going to be a thousand year reign upon this earth, and at the end of that the great white throne of judgment and all things are going to be made new, and that's where our teaching and preaching is going to come from. So it would be hard for you to sit here and, and, and be in agreement with us if you had an amillennial point of view, but I don't think you're a heretic because you do. Um, you know, there's, there's times when things are more important than they should be, so uh, We're all responsible to study the Word of God. And uh, let's let those convictions be those things, as Brother Brian said, those things that uh, we're willing to die for, those things that we can't move, that we can't change. And that doesn't mean it's wrong for us to have things that are important in our life, that are important in our church, but let's be a little gracious to those that believe slightly different on those things. How do you prepare when you're teaching? How do you prepare... When you are teaching, and uh, you know. Again, a lot of things. Be I, I would. I would simply say that first of all, for anybody that's teaching or preaching, I'm not sure what all you're, you're coming from there. But the first thing is is your own personal life. Uh, you better make sure that uh, you're in a position because uh, uh, there's much, much prayer, much study, much preparation. I've had those tell me, you know, that I spend too much time preparing. Well, maybe I'm just dumb and slow and I need a lot of time. Uh, some say, you know, well, just open your mouth and God will fill it. Uh, but I'm not sure I want it to be filled with well, what it would be filled with if I don't prepare and study. And I would just simply say that uh, you need to realize that it's one thing to be accountable for what you believe, but it's a whole other thing when you start getting up there and telling somebody else and teaching God's Word in any way, uh, whether it's teaching a Sunday school class or whether it's preaching. And, and I can tell you this guys, I, you know, I don't know, I don't know what I can think of, you know, that I enjoy in this life more than preaching hardly. I mean, you know, I love preaching God's word and I understand, you know, more than anybody can even imagine, you know, that it's only by God's grace that he allows me to do that. And after all these years, I, you know, I can remember the first time that I preached and I was shaking and nervous and my knees were pucking po- together and I was holding on to the pulpit and everything else. I'm not like that when I preach anymore. But I hope I never get to the point that I enter God's pulpit without recognizing the awesomeness of what I'm about to do and that if I don't get myself out of the way and let God take over, then I've got nothing nothing to give. Uh, take it seriously. And if you're going to teach someone else, you better spend a whole lot of time with God on your knees and in His Word uh, so that you can, can teach that which you're teaching with confidence. God will bless you for it.
0: Um, <clears throat> a message... Uh, I don't know how many guys and young ladies are in here preparing for the ministry, or feel like God's called you in the ministry. But I've often made a statement, if, if a message that or a lesson that is prepared in the head will only reach a head, but if it's prepared in the heart, it'll reach hearts. And. <coughs> I going to be honest with you guys, I went, to, I went to Bible college, I did my time, I got my due, but all that is is man's stamp of approval on me. I learned more about the ministry from people like Dave Kistler and people like Phil Voss and people like Larry Curtis than I ever did in the classroom. And you know what, guys and ladies, if uh, you are into teaching ministry, just realize what James said, be not many masters, seeing that you shall receive the greater condemnation. You will stand. Now, it's an awesome responsibility. I'm going to stand and give an account for everything I've ever said. And I don't take that lightly. And a lot of people said, well, you know what? I, I'll be honest with you. I'm not a smart guy, and I don't claim to be. But i tell you what, I want to be somebody that's got passion. I want to be passionate about what I'm talking about. If you don't have passion, you know what? They say zeal. Without knowledge is dangerous, but knowledge without zeal is dead. So be passionate about what you're teaching or preaching. Hope
1: is usually an optimism for something. You hope for something like hoping for a chocolate bar. Amen. It's an active thing. God tells us to hope in Him, which is kind of more passive. How do you hope? in God. Well, it's interesting because most of the time when we think about hope, we think about something that might be. But there is no question about the hope that we have in God. How do you hope in God? Your faith is increased. <laughs> you know, Jesus Christ is our hope. Without Him, there is nothing else. Our only hope is in Jesus Christ and what He's done for us. And, uh, but the Bible teaches us that that's a hope that is certain. Hope doesn't have to be a question. You know, hope is, 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 is the one way out. You know, it's like, uh, um, you know, if you're out there drowning in the middle of the sea somewhere, uh, you know, your, your hope is in somebody coming along and saving you and, and that may or may not happen, but it's your only way out. Uh, you have no other, no other course, you know, if somebody doesn't come along to save you. You're only going to be able to tread water for so long. Um, but your hope in Jesus is a certainty. There is no other way. There is no other hope. Uh, he is your only hope for eternity. And, uh, and I would simply say this, you know, it's a very simple verse, but it says, you know, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Uh, the more you spend in God's Word, your faith and your hope won't decrease. I've uh, Never, ever, ever found anybody that uh, would truly, truly let God speak to their hearts uh, without their faith increasing. I'm never ashamed to get somebody into God's Word. Uh, and so, uh, you know, how do you hope in God? The more you know about God, the greater that hope is, the greater that certainty is. Uh, how do you know about God? Well, not only for all the things he's doing, but the greatest way to know about him is his word that he's given to you. So, so stay in the word. Let your faith increase. The more that you know about God,
0: uh, the more confidence that you'll have in him. Amen. A biblical hope is an, an an eager anticipation. It's not anxiety. A lot of times we get anxious about things. And others we get eager about. The biblical hope is an eager anticipation. It's not an anxious anticipation. You're not sitting there going, oh, you know, we're hoping it. No, we have a hope. That hope's a positive. It's not passive. It's positive. That's what the biblical term means. It means to be eagerly anticipating uh, what God's going to do. I try to get up early and spend time with
1: God before my day starts, but I really struggle to focus when praying. Any suggestions at the... Please turn over. I don't feel I'm getting a lot out of it. Well, certainly, there's no better way to to, to start. Now, I think you know there's there is a big difference in your devotional time with God and the time you spend with God in studying. Uh, we need both very much, and to start your day with with uh, with God. Uh, is the greatest start that you'll ever have to every day. You're not. It's. It's not just your feelings that it's based upon either. Uh, you need that time with the Lord. Um, as far as is feeling like that you're not getting through, or that you're not getting a lot accomplished, a lot of times. Um, I imagine everybody feels that at some point. Um, but again, I would. I would encourage you that. Uh, uh, you know that that time is a time of really. Meditating upon God, uh, giving Him your day. You know, uh, you know. One of the things I tell people is just, you know, be honest with God. God knows if you're struggling with getting something out of this passage. God knows you're struggling if you're struggling. You know, the Bible teaches us. Paul teaches us in Romans that you know that even when we don't know how to pray ourselves, that the Holy Spirit within us will pray for us. Praise God. Uh, God already knows. You say, you know, God, I'm 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 struggling here. You know. Uh, but, uh, but I know that I need this time with you and I know I need this time in your word and, and don't push it aside because you don't feel like it. Um, you know, I think one of the things that, that God appreciates the most about us and brings that communion is when uh, we don't try to go to God pretending something that we're not pretending we're all spiritual and we're all these things when, you know, just, man, when you're struggling, tell God you're struggling. Uh, when you need more out of it, tell him you need more out of it. Just be honest
0: with him and humble yourself before him and, and trust in him and he'll, uh, he'll be there for you. How many of you guys in here go to university, you have classes that are on a schedule? <laughs> How many of you work, you've got a punch of clock, you've got to be on time? Raise your hand if you've got to do that. All right. Uh, if you don't do that, what happens? There's consequences, correct? You know the problem is you've got discipline enough. Okay, All of you raised your hand. If, now, if you've got a problem going to class... And you can't get there. It's going to affect your grades. It's going to have consequences and all that. you got enough discipline to do things like that. I think one of the biggest issues, and I I hope this will be an encouragement to you. Um, One of the biggest issues that we have now in Christianity, I'm talking about in Christendom, the biggest issue, Brother Downey, we've got these days in Christianity is a lack of self-discipline. It's a lack of self-discipline. You know what? You say, "Well, preacher, I'm already getting up early for class. I'm get going to bed late because I've got term papers due. I've got all these things I've got. I've got lab. I've got all these things going on in my life and I just don't have." You know what? That's that's not a God problem. That's a you problem. You got to you got to discipline yourself to spend some time daily in the word and in prayer. It's the bottom line. There ain't no there ain't no magic wand. You just got to make a conscious effort to have better self-discipline. Can I get a partial amen right there? I know this is question and answer, but I like to hear it. It's like I'm preaching, you know. But anyway, self-discipline. If you find it hard, hey, that's when the Bible says two are better than one, Ecclesiastes 9. Two are better than one. If you got something you're having to struggle with, call pastor. Call Ramani. (laughs) You know, call... Especially if it's if it's three AM, call him first and then call me the next day. No, seriously, call one another. <laughs> to mine. That's what's been happening, man. It's like call forwarding. Yes, yeah, call forwarding. But no, I believe really I believe that's the issue. I mean, we've got enough discipline to make sure that our 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 time schedules are taken care of from work to school. Our vehicles are taking care of MOTs. I mean, if you, you don't do MOT, you're going to get a ticket or your car's going to be parked. You've got to have discipline. It's the same way in the Christian life. Why do we think that, listen, Jesus can fix anything and he can take care of everything. But you know what? He says, you're a co-laborer with me. That's what, that's what Timothy was admonished by Paul. We're co-laborers together here, Timothy. We're co-laborers together with Jesus Christ. You know what? Have some discipline. Get up in the morning. Ten minutes. Ten minutes. You can do ten minutes. All right? Ten minutes in prayer and studying the Scripture. Try it. Do it a week. I said this week, you sow a thought, you reap an action, sow an action, reap a habit, sow a habit, reap a character. You promise. I promise. Do something for a week like that, it'll become a habit. All right? A good one,
1: not a bad habit. Okay, this one relates back a bit to to one that we've already talked about. He says, or she says, whoever says, uh, My mom is struggling with depression. She says she feels miles away from God and no longer feels anything, just numb. She says that she is worried that she is no longer saved. I know she is, but how can I encourage her? We probably never lived in a day when there was more people around us that are genuinely uh, depressed and despondent and hurting. most of us as pastors preach a fair number of sermons just trying to encourage our people to get through these things and and of course there again there 's a lot of things involved, but you know God knew that uh, uh, that we 're going to have to face these things again, one of the sermons that we 've been preached this week was the uh, Forsaking not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. does he say? but exhorting one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Uh, as the world becomes more godless, um, as the world loses sight of God, then uh, there are going to be more things to depress us and to worry us and to get us down. What's tough is when it's somebody we care about and we see them hurting and and... and I can only be honest with you. There's only so much you can do, and you've just got to love them with all your heart, and you've got to try to encourage them and point them. You know, I I love one of the songs that we sing around here is turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And, uh, you know, you've you've got to encourage them to Jesus. Um, and, And, you know, that's not always easy. I have had friends myself that were suicidal, you know, that I've been on the phone with for hours and hours that I've gone to their home. And, and 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 I'll be quite honest with you, sometimes, and I don't mean this in the wrong way, but sometimes I can get pretty depressed myself because I feel so helpless in being able to uh, to do anything for them when all I can do is point them to Jesus and take them to the Word. And, and when it comes to, you know, I guess that, uh, again, something else that's already been discussed when it comes to doubts and things like that, you've got to come to a point... There was a time when, when, when God and 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 we get into doctrinal issues. And guys, you know that I've always made it clear: we're not here. You know, people are welcome here from all kinds of different church backgrounds, and we're not going to agree on every little iota of every doctrine. And, and and there's some things you know that I'll just say: go talk to your pastor about. Uh, I'm not ashamed of what we stand for and what we preach, but I'm not here to divide, and and I'm not here to uh, uh, to make things worse for you in, in in your church situation. If you were in a in a cult somewhere, if you're in a place where that uh, uh, you were being taught ungodly things, then uh, I'd do my best to get you out of it. But uh, that's not the case. I don't know anybody that's uh, uh, that comes here from those kind of backgrounds and those kind of churches. Um, but the thing is, is that uh, with a lot of these things, uh, there are no easy answers, and you've got to be everything that you can. You've got to love people. You've got to be there. You've got to encourage them. And you know, I personally. You know, believe that, that if you're genuinely born again, that is a total, complete work of God. I didn't do anything to save myself. The first thing I had to do was recognize how hopeless and helpless that I was. Jesus Christ did it all. My faith and trust is in Jesus Christ. I struggled just like Brother Brian struggled for like the first four years, I think he said, of his life. I struggled longer than that. I was preaching in a in a, in a church in South Carolina one night, and, and, and it was a big church, and there was a crowd there, and the altar was full, and people were saved, and I forget, one of the kids was sick or something. I was by myself, and I was driving back home, and I hadn't much got out of that, uh, that church in Greenwood, South Carolina. The devil started hitting me in the face. Yeah, you get up there, and you preach it, and all those people come down, but what about you? And of course, I struggled over the years. Last time, I was, I was saved. In a pastor's home, out of a Christian home, it wasn't like there was suddenly a, a from darkness to light thing. And I, and I struggled through some years, but I was 21 years old when I really committed my life to the Lord. Even after times like that, I spent time sometimes prostrate on the floor, uh, literally underneath my dining room table. I don't know how stupid that sounds, but just crying to God and begging to God to, to, to give me that assurance because sometimes I felt saved and sometimes I didn't. But that night, traveling back to North Carolina from South Carolina after preaching that sermon. I remember that little gold Chevette that I was driving at the time, and I pulled that thing over beside the road, and I was there by myself, and I turned it off, and that car was not going to move another inch until that was settled in my life right then and there. And the simple truth is this. I had to come to the realization I'd not done anything to save myself and I could never do anything. I'd done everything God's Word had told me to do. I totally, completely trusted. I believed that if there was any hope for my salvation, it was because of what Jesus Christ had done for me. I couldn't be more serious from my heart when I asked God to forgive me and I couldn't have trusted more in Jesus Christ. So if, if, if I wasn't saved, I was never going to be saved. There was never going to be any hope. But my security was because God's Word is the one that told me I was saved because of what I'd done. Uh, now you know this may sound strange coming from a 58-year-old guy that's been, you know, preaching most of his life. Uh, but the simple fact is, I still sometimes feel more saved than I do at other times. But I never doubt my salvation anymore. Sometimes you know, I you know, <laughs> I love feeling good. Uh, I'm not exactly, I mean, the quietest preacher in the world myself either. You know, I, I just I I love God with a passion and I love His Word with a passion. But the thing is, is that, uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes I'm, I'm feeling mighty high when I'm on those mountaintops. But sometimes we go through the valleys as well. But I don't doubt my salvation because when I'm in those valleys, God's word hasn't changed. The reason that I'm saved hasn't changed. Now I'm making this statement. I don't want to be divisive here, but I believe, you know, I don't, I don't believe you can come unborn once you've been born. God saved me. God saved me for eternity. and There's all kind of things there that we could talk about there. I believe there's a lot of people that have made a whole lot of professions that have never truly been born again that can go back and live like the world. And I don't believe they were ever born again in the first place. Uh, but I don't believe a child of God can do that. If you truly, genuinely, if the Holy Spirit has moved into your life, God did it. God's the one that did that work matter of fact I believe First Corinthians chapter five is a prime illustration when I mean that's a pretty bad sin when somebody's having a, a fornication act with their own stepmother and the Bible talks about that that one being turned over to Satan for destruction of the flesh that the soul might be saved in the day you don't play games with God and I don't believe that a child of God that's truly God's child can get out there and, uh, and live like the world and continuously live in that lifestyle and carry on so a lot of things but let me say Uh, people's feelings are important, and we all have to deal with them. And one of the most frustrating and difficult things you'll go is when somebody that you love and that you care for is hurting. But you you can't change their feelings. But the one thing you can, you do everything that you can to love them. That's just like, I don't care if it's your best friend or your mom or somebody else. Man, if they stumble, if they fall, if they commit a sin. I said one time that there was one thing. And my dad is a pastor. The one thing in his ministry that I wish God would give me if he gave me anything whatsoever. My dad was just a, a country North Carolina preacher. You know, they used to say it was like an old steam engine. You know, it took a while to get that head of steam built. But man, when it was built, you better not try to stop it. You know? <laughs> but, uh, but he loved people and he pastored his people. And, and we had a pretty big youth program in our church. And I can remember, you know, so many of those kids. They'd get in trouble with the law. They'd get in trouble. They'd be locked up down there or something. The first person they'd call for would be my dad. Why? Because they knew that he loved them no matter what. No matter what. You know, they couldn't change that. That's the kind of unconditional God has loved us with. That's the kind of unconditional love that we've got to love each other with. And, And whoever that person is, if it's your mom... You know, I'm going to pray for her even though I don't know who it is because I know how that must hurt. But just love her. Love her so much. Try to point her to Jesus. Jesus, Jesus is the only thing. That hope that we've already talked about, the only thing that's going to change it. And there's a lot of hurting people, and I think that's going to get worse, and that's why that it's so important that we've got each other. That's why, that's why he told us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We need each other. We need to, to lock those arms, as we heard this week. We need to be there for each other. And uh, so I'll pray for you, whoever you are. But you just keep loving that mom, and you keep trying to encourage her, and you keep trying to point her to Jesus, and trying to point her to those beautiful, wonderful promises that God has got there. And, uh, and, and, and God will bless you for it, I'm
0: sure. Amen. <laughs> When it comes to depression, let me say something real quick. When it comes to depression, how many of you would agree with me that um, happy, happy drivers avoid wrecks, right? A happy driver is going to try to avoid accidents. A happy golfer is going to try to avoid water, woods, sand traps. And happy investors avoid everything so they don't get in trouble, right? So if you're happy, you have to avoid stuff if you're going to be happy. And a lot of depression has to do with happiness, And biblical happiness starts with avoiding the first thing is you gotta avoid stuff. And number one, you gotta avoid sin. All right. Now I don't I'm not saying that you know people are in, in the depths of wickedness. I'm just saying sometimes we got to watch out for sinful counsel and sinful companions, sinful criticism. You listen to the wrong stuff, you hang around the wrong people, sometimes you get in trouble. And this is not for the mother there. This is my lot, a lot of this has to do with you young people. Be careful that uh, you don't fall in the depths of depression because of the people you're hanging with and the people you're listening to. Counsel sometimes will, you know, the Scripture says there's safety, there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. Uh, get your counsel from people that love Jesus. Get your people from somebody... Uh, get your counsel from people that, that, love, that love God, okay? So, but I'll be praying also too for that mother if you're in here. I'll be praying for her. The next question is, what is the best way to give up pornography? Um,
1: the same as giving up any sin, really. A lot of sin is not easy. The first thing we all have to realize is that our flesh is wicked. And, you know, again, I don't want to get into a doctrinal thing. I guess there's, there's a lot of uh, debate even amongst theologians. Some talk about, you know, the two natures of man and this nature fighting against that nature. Well, I believe when you're lost, you only got one nature, and that's a sinful nature. I believe when you become saved, God creates you new. The Holy Spirit moves in. The natural thing for you should be to live godly. Your flesh is what the battle is with. That old man is dead, the Bible says. But that flesh never dies. And we see that vividly with the Apostle Paul, you know, uh, struggling. You know, why do I do the things that I know I shouldn't? And why do I not do the things that I know that I should? Uh, you're going to always have a battle. Um, you know, I can give you some practical advice. You know, I have, I guess as a pastor over the years, I've dealt with a number of people. Uh, and I can say, okay, you know, it's, it's one thing when you realize you've got a weakness, then uh, yes, you need to pray about it, and yes, you need to do all kinds of things, but first thing is, is remove that weakness. You know, I, I've told people, you, you, you want me to pray and God miraculously take this thing from you, you keep going into that corner shop where they've got the whole line of them there on the shelf, and you know that you're going to be weak when you see that temptation before you. I said, stay out of that corner shop. You know, you, know, you may think it's kind of radical, but if you've got a problem and you've got pornography on your computer and you can't, t- 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 throw that computer out the door. Matter of fact, the passage that came to mind when, uh, uh, when I was reading that and uh, uh, Jesus makes it uh, pretty clear when he's preaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, but I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy eye offend thee, pluck it out, cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. If thy right hand offend thee, cut it off. Cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. You think God wants a whole bunch of Christians walking around with our eyes plucked out and our hands chopped off? We'd make a pretty sight for a church. Everybody would have joined that church, praise God. (laughs) Now what he's trying to point out very vividly is just how horrible that sin is for us. And he's showing us the absolute worst. Look, if you can't control that eye, you'd be better off to pluck it out. Well, I'm saying it's a whole, whole, whole lot. makes a whole lot more sense to stay out of the corner shop and throw away your computer and smash your smartphone or any, If you can, if those temptations are there and you're struggling with it, get rid of whatever it is that's putting that temptation there. Those are practical things that it's just pretty foolish. The devil knows what your weakness is. He knows what your Achilles heel is. Well, don't let it just be, you know, we, the Lord taught us how to pray and to model prayer, you know, lead us not into tempt- temptation. Well, you know, we ought not to be foolish about those things. Different people have temptations, and those things can be hard. You've got a horrible, terrible flesh. You know, you've got to be able to put that flesh under subjection. The only way you're going to do that is to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. You'll never, ever, ever do it in your strength. No matter how much you know it's wrong, no matter how much you want to to do with it, it's only through God that you're going to be able to, giving yourself to Him completely. The one practical thing, you can do whatever it is, pornography or anything else, do whatever you have to do, whatever it is. If it's throw out the computer, throw out the TV, throw away the phones, stay out of those shops. If you can't avoid it, and you can't avoid going there where you know that temptation is going to be, and that's one step
0: that you can take until you can overcome that thing. Um, yeah, to get just you—you've got to separate yourself from it. But I—I I use a a very very practical thing. Three things that I do if I'm ever tempted to go in an area that I shouldn't go. Number one is I ask the Lord to rebuke Satan in His name and get thee behind me, openly if I have to. When you're tempted at the very moment that you're tempted to do something that you know you ought not do, transgression with the eye, with the mouth, what you hear, whatever, just say, Jesus, rebuke Satan, and Satan get behind me in Jesus' name. Secondly, I pray for somebody I know that's lost right then. And then number three, I praise him at that moment. I praise him for something he's done in my life. And I promise you, you do those three things, the devil will have to flee. He has to that doesn't mean he ain't going to leave you alone. he's just going to leave you alone right then in that area. so you just got to do that and it comes with vigilance and it comes with this it comes with discipline. so I hope that'll help besides abstaining from it and getting away from it you got to get away from it you know cycle it's like, it's like Pastor Larry said, you know you you can't put yourself in the midst of that. I mean, Paul said, abstain from all appearance of evil and flee fornication." Flee means to literally run as hard as you can away from it. What are the Dead Sea Scrolls? Are they
1: relevant? And what is the best version of the Bible to use? That's an easy, quick answer. Huh? <laughs> what did that say? What are the Dead Sea Scrolls? Are they relevant? And what is the best version of the Bible to use? How at it, brother. Man, you can have about how many answers you want. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, again, folks... That's not something you're going to answer in two minutes. The thing that amazes me the most about, about uh, versions of the Bible and things like this, and, and and again, this is something that, you know, I've just had to put a lot of study in myself because I can find books out there to support just about any view that I want on this subject. Uh, and they are numerous. Um, and you know, I can, I can. You know, as a matter of fact, you know, I've I've kind of took an about face on this whole thing because as a young, but the very first Bible that I ever bought my wife after she became a Christian was a newer version, uh, because I thought it'd be easier for her to understand, even though that uh, I guess I had been raised in a church that only used the uh, the King James Bible, and uh, and I've come through. And, and one of the things I came to realize is 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 a few things, and that is that uh, number one, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, and I can't. Uh, I can't translate it from the original myself, uh, so I thank God for those that uh, that God has used to do that. Um, I do believe with all my heart that the Word of God was inspired, breathed by God himself. I believe that every word in there is vital, and it's important. Uh, I also believe that God promised to preserve his Word was something that was just as genuine. And if you're interested... You know, I don't have time today, there's, I don't have to look back, it's way back in the beginning of that 120 or 30-some series where we started out on the very basis of our faith is the Word of God, uh, and, and and a lot of things on that. Um, you know, the thing is, most people today don't use a Bible because they've, they've they've really studied it out for themselves. They use it just because it's what's been given to them, because it's what their church does, or whatever. And I'll say this, um, I would rather somebody read a, a version that... Uh, that I thought was one of the worst is not to read it at all because most of them have got enough gospel in there that somebody can get saved and thank God for that. It's no good to have what uh, you think is there. Um, I can only tell you you know that uh, you know again for me as a church we use the King James Bible because I just honestly believe you know that uh, uh, for a whole lot of reasons that I've studied whether it comes back to you got you got to ask yourself some some questions uh, you know, do the manuscripts matter? That's what thats what part of this, you know, you got the Texas Receptus, you got the Vaticanus, uh, you got the Sinaitic, you got all these these, these, these different ones, and some say these are better and those are better. Well, you better study it out and figure it out for yourself because you can get somebody to support your view, whatever. I happen to personally, after all my study, uh, believe that the Texas Receptus was is, is the best uh, manuscripts that we have in, in the old version. Next is what kind of translation do you want? Um, You know, for me, uh, most of the new versions are either paraphrases or they use what is known as dynamic equivalence. Uh, In other words, I'm telling you today, in English today, what it meant back then. Uh, I'm just saying, for God's Word, I want, I don't don't care if it's the easiest or the hardest to read, I want it to be a literal translation, as literal as it can get into my language from the original. Uh, I don't want... No matter how smart they are, I don't want any man deciding for me what God meant by what he said. And so that narrows it down very narrow for me because there's only a handful of literal translations. Uh, And then those, you're going to have to come to some decisions yourself. A lot of people don't, they prefer... Uh, even uh, one of the few literal translations because they don't like the these and the and the these and all this You know I, I made a choice there myself because no, I don't I don't talk like that I don't think most of you have heard me come up to you saying, you know, uh, I love thee and and and, and uh, you know Would, would, would ye all do this? You know, <laughs> we use y'all where I come from but but, uh, uh, but I like it in my Bible rather than doing away with it because Our English language has not gotten better. It's gotten worse. It's gotten weaker. Our language, like many languages out there, used to distinguish between the singles and the plurals, the possessive and the non-possessive. Those things still tell me something about what it was in the original. And so therefore, you know, I like it. But, you know, th- the truth is, I'm not going to fight you over it. Uh, I know too many. There, there's a lot of men out there that are far better preachers than me that preach from different versions from what I preach from. And thank God for every soul that's saved under their ministry. They are not my enemies. Uh, but, by the same token, you know i 'm going to preach from the Bible that uh, uh, that I have through my own very 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 in depth study, I had to make choices i 've made those choices, and I just feel with all my heart uh, that I have the best translation I can in my English language in the King James Bible. And uh, and it's been pretty proven for the last 400 years. Um, And it's not because I think that it's more spiritual and holy because it's got the these and the thous and the es in there. Uh, I just personally don't think that there's been any improvement on it. And so I'm sticking with it. I'm preaching from it. Uh, I've memorized what... I think I still remember some of those verses (laughs) uh, uh, from it. And, uh, uh, you know, again... Don't get caught up in a lot of men's battles. There's so many people that they're more concerned about throwing stones and ripping each other down. But, folks, when it comes to something as important as the very Word of God, I think there's only one copy left back there. One of the things that I've pointed out to our people more than anything, one of the things that really spoke to me when I was studying is all the things that are missing in the modern Bibles. Uh, There's a lot missing have a look at that if, if if you want to. The thing is, I'm not going to love you any less. I don't want to undermine what your what your church is doing or anything. I can certainly tell you why we do what we do and why I do what I do, and uh, and my convictions. But that's because I've studied it out for me. You need to do the same thing. You don't need. You know, it's not any better for you to uh, to use that Bible because Larry Curtis told you to, uh, because somebody else could come along and tell you something totally different and you do something totally different. If it's God's Word, take time to study it out for yourself and come to a decision based upon the facts, not based upon what somebody else is trying to prove to you.
0: Amen. <laughs> Amen. I agree. I concur. Praise the Lord. I think you already know I preach from the King James. I mean, I've done it all week. So. Not saying it's the best. I, you know, I just... King James only, but not only King James. (laughs) Do you think Judas Iscariot has gone to heaven?
1: That's pretty, yes, no, 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 No. I don't see anyone in the Bible where he ever repented, I do see where it tells us that he was a son of perdition, yes, Tyler, Well, does anybody killing themselves get them to heaven, though? I mean, number one, let me say this. I don't know who went to heaven except Jesus. That's the only one I know for sure. Uh, I, don't know any, I don't know anybody else for certain that that's where they went or didn't go. And I'm not his judge. You just asked me, based upon Scripture, I have no reason to believe that. Because the only thing, there's a big difference in repentance that comes from remorse because you've, you know, you've done something and getting right with God. And, you know, uh, I, I, I don't see in Scripture any, anything where he ever fell and asked God to forgive him for what he did or, or acknowledge that in his life. Uh, I see remorse where that he went back to those. And yes, was sorry that he'd even taken the, uh, uh, the money from them. But I don't, I don't see anywhere where he got right with God. So the, the simple answer is, you know, do I think that he went to heaven? No. Well, I know where he went. I don't know where anybody went. Um, And, and, you know, I guess in the end, thank God it doesn't matter. The word word repentance is to change directions, to go another direction. You can repent about a lot of things in life without repenting to God. Uh, You can, you know, you can repent to each other and go a different direction, but that don't mean you've repented to God. You get into a lot of things, Romani. Again, again, that is not... Can the devil enter into anybody that's, that's, that's born again? No. No. We've heard that this. I don't, I don't believe for a moment that anybody can be possessed of the devil or demons if, they've, if, they're, if they're truly, truly saved. The thief on the cross asked Jesus. I don't see where Judas ever did that. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess in the first place, yeah, I'm not trying to cut short. I don't see the point of all of it. There's a lot of things in the Bible you don't know for sure. I don't know for sure. If you want to know, I don't see in Scripture where he ever uh, repented to God, where he ever sought forgiveness from God, where he, he ever acknowledged that to God in any way. I certainly see remorse in the man, enough to go out and kill himself. There's a lot of people in this world that can feel all the remorse in the world and go out and kill themselves over and over again that still won't get them forgiven for their sins. I don't care how many times they kill themselves, how many times that they change directions you know, from that, Unless they repent before God and seek that forgiveness, there is no salvation. The thief on the cross sought that from Jesus Christ. He acknowledged who Jesus Christ was. So did Mary Magdalene. You know, I hope Judas is in heaven. Praise God! I hope he got saved. You know, I don't. You know, I had to preach a funeral here a few weeks ago. The man had never acknowledged God, but I know he'd said under the gospel a few times. I couldn't get up here and preach him into heaven, but I knew there was hope. Why? Because there's always hope when there's Jesus. I knew that he knew that hope that that was in Jesus Christ. I wouldn't. I would hate to trust my eternity like the thief on the cross to a dying breath. But I sure hope that that man, because I knew that man and knew him well, I hope that he did trust in Jesus. But I don't have any assurance of that. And it's the same. I I wouldn't. I wouldn't want Judas Iscariot or anybody else not to be in heaven. But I don't see anything in Scripture that would uh, that would tell me otherwise. But my hope, I hope he did, you know, I hope he did, you know, I'd, 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 I'd love to shake his hand in heaven one day, you know, but, uh, but I'm saying based on scripture, I don't, you know, I don't see it there to, to give me that, that assurance for sure.
0: Um, I, I agree. I mean, there's no, there's no physical evidence. I mean, yeah, he said repented himself, but he never, he never, he never, he never, he never went to the Lord himself and, and asked for forgiveness. And I'm not saying there's some type of magical equation. People pray different prayers. But repentance toward God is the same in every heart. And a
1: lot of that gets really hard if you, if you really start looking theologically because of the transition period and everything that was there. And, uh, and again, you know, the only hope we have in any, we don't know anybody else's heart. The only hope we have is in what we have seen that individual and what they have 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 done in our presence our hope would be anybody that we know we would hope that they would be in heaven uh but if the evidence isn't there then uh, it's just a lot harder for us uh but uh again so i hope i hope judas is in heaven but i just don't i don't see you know scripture forth that i could base well yeah i really believe it is because here's where he repented to jesus and asked that forgiveness and 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 whatnot uh that's necessary The next question is, how can you discern the will of God in your life? How can you discern the will of God in your life? One of the things that I get, as I've said many years, one of the hardest things you'll ever do is to discern between your will and God's will. Um, And uh, the only thing, again, that I can say there, again, there's a lot of things can be said But the only way that you're going to know God's will is if you're walking with God, in close communion with God, in His Word, in prayer. You're never going to know it when you're out there walking in the flesh and doing your own thing, no matter how smart you are. Uh, And God cares about everything in your life, and you should consider Him in everything that you do, and you should
0: pray about everything that you do. How can you discern God's will? In the morning session, I spoke of um, a lot of times, the only way you can ever know there's three when you talk about God's will uh there's his sovereign will and then there's his standard will and then it in 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 accomplishing and doing his standard will God w- will reveal his specific will to you so if you're ever trying to discern the will of God in your life in specific you've got to obey his standard will in order for him to reveal his specific in other words Standard will is uh, fellowship with local believers. Read the book of, read the Bible. Pray, uh, give uh, those type of things. So if you'll uh, obey His standard will, He'll reveal His specific will to you. Sounds like you already answered this for yourself. Where does the idea of Eve eating an
1: apple come from? As all the Bibles I have read say, the word "fruit" in Genesis. Well, I don't know originally, but I'd say because. Some artist wanted to draw a picture, and he had to draw a piece of fruit, and he drew an apple. <laughs> uh, it's, not, it's not the Word of God, I guess. It, it's become a common thing, and you said it right there. We don't know, we don't know what that fruit was. Uh, we just know it was, uh, it was fruit. And, uh, and all I can say is I guess an apple was an easy round fruit to draw.
0: I personally think it was a persimmon, because if, if you've ever eaten one, it is forbidden fruit. It's terrible. It's absolutely horrendous. It's the worst thing I've <laughs> You like it? I must have eaten one that wasn't ripe or something yet. That was the nastiest thing I've ever eaten in my life. And that from that moment on, from that moment on I said the forbidden fruit, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was persimmon infested. So I'm sticking to it.
1: My grandma used to make some persimmon. Jam or something, it wasn't bad, brother. <laughs> Maybe it was all the sugar she put in. <laughs> uh Matthew six fifteen. Okay. Is Matthew six fifteen
0: written to the unsaved? But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses.
1: Again, it's something the preachers talked about this, uh, this week. And I, and I think that look in the context there to, 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 see, I think the principle, uh, is one that, uh, a lot of times it's hard for us to distinguish when we are saved and in the Lord Jesus Christ, all of our sins are forgiven. God either sees us in Adam and our sin or, or in Jesus Christ. Um, the Bible has other similar things, you know, if, uh, you come to the altar, and you bring a gift, and your brother has all against you, then you've got to return and, and, and sort that out before you come back to the altar with your with your gift and whatnot. Uh, Christians, we wish it weren't true, but we have sin in our life that separates us from God. Uh, that uh, That's why that uh, every other month as a local church, when we come around, the we have a special service here, uh, the Lord's Table, uh, once every other month and, and some churches do it every week and some do it every other week and some do it every quarter and some do it once a year at the Passover and all kinds of different practices but uh, uh, one of the things about the uh, the Lord's table is when we come around the Lord's table is the examining of ourselves if there be anything there because all the, uh, all the bread and cups in the world is not going to give us communion with the Lord if there's sin that is separating us and uh, so I believe as a Christian your fellowship can be broken because of sin and you're just, uh, uh, there's absolutely no hope for you to come to God and try to get him to, uh, to sort you out if, uh, if you haven't been willing to sort it out with your, with your, with your brother. And certainly I think an unbeliever is not going to understand a lot of spiritual things uh, about uh, uh, forgiveness and, and God's grace and all these things. Uh, but, uh, you know, to, to come to Jesus Christ and, and to seek that, that forgiveness if at the same time that you come, you got in your heart what so-and-so did against you and, and uh, you're not willing to uh, to forgive that person, and yet you want God to forgive you, uh, then I think you know that your heart's not where it needs to be to uh, to come to Christ anyway. Uh,
0: but uh, uh, but I think the principle there could certainly apply to either. Uh, David, yeah, he was talking to a, a mixture of people on the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, there was... The extreme, you know, the extreme religious crowd that use externalism, uh, the accoutrements, all the religious rites and rituals, and everything that the Pharisees and all of the groups did, and he was also speaking to his followers, disciples. Fact of the matter is, David said, "If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord won't hear me." I think that's basically what Jesus is saying: if you don't forgive, you know, you can sit, you know positionally, you're already forgiven. It's just like I said this morning, positionally, you're already forgiven. Where are our sins as a believer? As far as the east is from the west, so far as he cast our sins from us, they're in the sea of no remembrance. Your sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Okay, well, does that mean that we don't have to confess like I said this morning? No, we got, we got to confess them. So I think that if you don't hear, if you don't forgive uh, your brethren, I believe it's going to be like the ceiling's brass and the Lord's going to fill a million miles away. Um, uh, but yeah, positionally, as a follower of Christ, past, present, and future, our sins are of the blood, but you still have to confess. You have to have a daily cleansing. Okay. I think if you keep in mind that that
1: passage is part of the, uh, the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was preaching to the multitudes. And so uh, it would have been a mixed congregation anyway that he's talking to there. But his principles, the Beatitudes that he's laying down um, are, are true to, uh, to, to whatever it might be. But it's, the consequences are very different for a lost person and a saved person. Amen. Okay, this, is, this has got a whole bunch here. Uh, so we're going to have to go real quick because we want to get to all of them. And you guys give us so many questions. And some of these are going to be controversial, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on them. I'd rather you, uh, you know talk to you. Does healing happen today? Absolutely, 100% positive. You know, you want you want this guy's opinion, I, I believe in divine healing as much as I believe I'm sitting in this chair. I don't believe in divine healers. I don't believe that God uses men to touch other men. I believe that James chapter 5 tells us that we're to call for the elders of the church, anointing them with oil, praying over them. That's a practice that we are not ashamed of here at Bethel. Why? Because when it's the elders, the leadership, the church as a whole, there's only one person who can get credit, and that's Jesus Christ. Uh, it's not the pastor, it's not anybody else. Uh, you know, God used divine healing. Uh, his apostles had a very special gift to being here. Even, even their shadows just casting over people would heal them and whatnot uh, to show who they were. I don't have that. I don't believe anybody has that gift today. But I believe that God can, can divinely heal anybody, anywhere uh, I think that some of the things that we go through in this life, we can say all kind of things. Some, some things are because of our own sin that we bring upon ourselves. Uh, some things are for lack of faith, the Bible tells us. You know, we ask not believing you know, that, that, that God can do anything about it. And There's all kind of things. But the short answer, there's a lot of things you can look at on healing, but God is still able. God does still do it. Uh, but I don't believe that... Uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not a part of the program that believes that God gives men that special ability to do that today. But God is just as able and capable, and I believe He does it through His His Church, His Body, so that Jesus gets the glory for it. Do we still need the gift of tongues?
0: I, I've never spoken in them, except that one time when you ran over my foot with that. <laughs> That's playing, man. <laughs> And, uh, you, know, <laughs> <laughs> you want me to take honestly <laughs> honestly that's uh it's highly it's it's a it's a hot button today yeah um i i'll be honest with you we don't have time to sit down and and and, and talk about it at, at at a at a setting like this um if you ask me is it what does it say do we still need the gift of tongues i think first thing you got is to is define tongues yeah um You know,
1: tongues in the Bible, as far as languages and the gift of languages, uh, I think that that gift is given for all kinds of things. Like you said, I mean, I've taught my people for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, and, uh, you know, if you the, the amazing thing is about, you know, tongues in the Bible. On the day of Pentecost, they were all able to understand and hear in their own language when the gospel was preached. These Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven, the Bible says. Um, and yet, uh, today, uh, I have a lot of. Dear, dear Christian friends that I love dearly. And, uh, you know, they believe that the gift of tongues... I mean, I've got some that believe it's a heavenly language and some believe that it's all kind of different things. Bottom line is, we're going to disagree on some of those things, but I don't love them any less. And they still love me in spite of that fact. And and, and praise God, that's not what's going to get us to heaven or not. Uh, But uh, it is a hot subject. Churches are very different on it. I'm not here to divide on it. You know, you want to come ask me personally. Like I said, I mean, uh, it's, it's something... When you study a subject like that, then you need to study everything that the Bible says about it, Old Testament, New Testament, uh, and, uh, and come to a conclusion based upon the Word of God, not upon what somebody tells you. Amen? Mm-hmm.
0: Brian, mm-hmm. how do you prepare your sermons? Uh, through life, experiences, and just try to be practical. Um, be no need for me to try to impress you with lofty words and stuff like that. You just, just preach practically and preach where people live. That's what people need. That's what all of us need is, to, is practicality, and that's how I prepare. And I'll be honest, the older I get, the more I'm in the ministry, I used to want to prepare and prepare and have all this stuff and have all of these illustrations and have all this stuff, and, man, it would be awesome. And I'll be quite honest with you, the older I get, the more I pre- pray. Uh, I pray a whole lot more than I prepare now. Because you better be prayed up. There's been many times even in this, own conf- in this conference, uh, not maybe on the weekend because we already set a schedule for what I'm going to be preaching each session. But I will, and Pastor will, knows this, that I've come in this building and literally... Between the time that we started the first song, Brother Downey and I got in the pulpit, God changed my heart, and I preached a totally different message. That's just the way. You've got to be led of the Holy Spirit of God. So if you're if you're studying to be a preacher or you want to be one, uh, that's the biggest thing. Be sensitive, be humble, and be an open vessel. Yeah, the next one is very similar. I want to preach the gospel. How do I go about this? And uh,
1: again, if you're talking about preaching as a preacher, everybody, everybody should proclaim the gospel. You know, regardless of where you are, what you're doing. If you're talking about being a preacher from the uh, from the pulpit, then uh, the preparation is there. More than anything else, uh, it's got to come from the heart. Uh, It's got to come from God uh, that's uh, that's within you. But uh, uh, you know, don't try to be something that you're not. Don't try to preach like somebody else. You know, everybody can be a witness. If you're saved yourself, you know how to get saved, and you ought to be able to proclaim that. You ought to take every opportunity to proclaim it to everybody. How do you keep yourself humble? Well, if you ever figure out you got it, you just lost it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. If you ever, how do you keep yourself humble? (laughs) And I've always, I've always said, you know, that uh, you know, if you ever feel like that, you finally, uh, you finally got humble, you just lost it. You know, right right then and there. Um, You know, keep Jesus first. Keep everybody else first. Uh, You know, self, self self-sacrificing. Never yeah. begin to, to feel that you're self-important. You're always, what, why does the Bible have so much to say about pride? Because it's a problem in the flesh. The flesh likes a pat on the back. The flesh likes recognition.
0: Uh, just try to keep others before yourself and keep the Lord above yeah. everything. You usually emulate who you hang with. Yeah. If you stick close to Jesus, you'll stay humble and again you know this this we've we've already
1: discussed you know how do i cope with insecurity or doubt and we all have come i guess their own ways with with some of those things but i simply you know above all else it comes right back to the word of god uh, you you trust because you know without any shadow of a doubt that you've done what the bible tells you to be saved mm-hmm. you base your security upon god's word and god's promise it's not on religion, not on your intentions, not on your feelings. Uh, you know, there are an awful lot of people sitting on church, I to say pews, but they're mostly chairs nowadays, uh, that uh, have never been saved. They've gotten all kind of religion. They've got all the best intentions in the world. Uh, but folks, you've got to humble yourself before Almighty God as a sinner. Uh, admit your sin. Uh, seek that forgiveness because of what Jesus Christ has done for you, and that alone. Um, and, uh, and if you call upon God to forgive you because of what Jesus did for you, he promises he won't turn you away. Uh, it's got to, uh, it's got to be based upon, uh, upon God's word and not upon your, uh, your feelings. Anything there? That's good. Either pastor can answer. Okay, brother Downey, this one's for you, brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, this is actually a good question. How can you forgive someone for a wrong action repeatedly done against you? Man, you're going to struggle. Seventy times seven? Well, the, the, the only thing I can tell you that helps me personally is uh, is I remember what the Lord's forgiven me for. How many times I've repeatedly failed him. I remember something else that helps me and it may have no significance to you whatsoever. Um, and that's the, uh, the simple fact that when, when somebody wrongs me, uh, I don't care how wrong that that wrong is, uh, I pray for God to give me the compassion that Jesus has for them because I try to see it not as them personally wronging me or coming against me. Uh, if they're lost... They don't know any better. They're acting like a lost person. What do we expect them to do? Uh, They need to be saved. They need Jesus in their lives. I don't care what that wrong is. You know, salvation will change them into a new person. Uh, And so I try not to take it personal. I try to make sure that, uh, that I understand, you know, that either they're a lost person that needs to be saved or they're a Christian that's struggling, that they still need that dealt with in their life. Try not to. Try to remember how much God's done for you. Uh, and it's it's tough. The old flesh won't want to do it. Uh, and I honestly, you know, it's like it's like one preacher preached from this pulpit some years ago. You know, said one of the things he used to struggle with the most was people borrowing stuff from him and never bringing it back. Especially his books because they meant so much to him. He said, you know what? He said, in my mind, he said, every time somebody borrowed a book from my library, he said, I didn't say it out loud now. But he said, in my mind, he said, brother, I'm giving that to you. And as far as he was concerned, it was gone. He said, don't ever learn anything that you won't give away. Mm -hmm. And he said, if he ever got it back, he was praising God because, you know, he'd already given it away anyway in his mind. But uh, if they didn't bring it back, he wasn't upset with them because uh, he'd already settled that thing. And uh, uh, so, you know, know, just just try to deal with people and the fact that we're all humans, we're all sinners. Remember what God's done for you. And remember that it's, it's sin that their problem. Try to have the compassion that Jesus had for them. Look at what they did to him. And yet he hung there on the cross and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They don't know what they're doing. It's sin that's doing it. And Jesus Christ is always the answer to change them. Amen. The next one goes with How can you forgive someone for a wrong action
0: repeatedly done against you? How do you approach forgiveness? Well, I, I think, and i said it this i said it this weekend you know you you can't hold on to hurt you know you got to let you got to let it go um you hold on to the history in your life it's going to come at the expense of your destiny and so forgiveness the only way you can have true forgiveness is to run to Calvary and look at what Christ did and i had a lady one time who had been literally Molested is a really nice word by some family members. And she looked at me, and you know, I've often said, you know, and I made a statement this week, you know, sometimes you just got to chop down a tree and forget about it if you want to get over bitterness. You know, there are going to be sometimes things in your life you'll never forget. But do you know there's nowhere in the Bible that says in order to forgive somebody, you have to forget something? You can forgive. You've got to make a conscious decision that, you can, that, that you're going to do it. Because if you don't, all it's going to do is keep you imprisoned. The person that you hadn't forgiven is going to be out there, and they're going to be living life, and they're going to be fine. But if you run around with unforgiveness, it's like I said, it's going to keep you from flying like an eagle. If you eat off, if you eat the scraps and the cr- and the crud off the ground like a chicken, you'll never fo- you'll never soar like an eagle. All right. Okay. And this person's last one: as
1: every other religion going to hell. What about their work done for humanity? Well, thank God for any work that's done for humanity. You know that's that's always a good thing, but. That's a big difference in what you do for humanity in this world and, 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 and being right with God, going to heaven, uh, how you want to look at it, as every other religion going to hell? Well, every other religion compared to, except what? Except ours? Except Christianity? I'm, I'm not sure what's being asked there. I, I believe this wholeheartedly, no matter how sincere, how genuine. Uh, you know, you go to the medicine cabinet and you take that medicine because you're sick and you want to get better you take the wrong thing and it's poison. It don't matter how good your intentions were, it's still poisonous. Uh, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Um, Yeah, I, I believe that we either have the word of God or we don't. And if we have the word of God, Jesus Christ is the only way. I also believe this with all my heart, that God is a holy and a righteous and a perfect judge. I'm glad he's judging all the people and not me. Uh, you know what? What is the consequences of of all of the the good that they've done and the genuineness and the sincerity? Well, you know whatever the afterlife holds, it's not the same for everybody. Um, I made a statement not long ago from our pulpit that you know I think one of the things is that we we think we understand a whole lot of things a whole lot better than we do, um, and uh, and the truth is is that. Uh, You know, I'm glad that God's the one that's, and I I trust his judgment, and I trust his fairness. I just, whatever the religion is in the world, if it's without Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, I believe that's the only means of salvation. Um, What's happening to everybody else and all their beliefs and all their goods, well, I'm glad that God's dealing with that and not not me. Um, It can be a very, very, very... uh, Tough thing a lot of times to work out. Well, you know, uh, what confidence can we have in our Bibles that they don't have in whatever they've got?
0: Uh. Um, You know, I've had, had somebody tell me one time, why is it, why is so much evil happen? Why would a God who loves us let so much evil happen? Well, if there's, let's just think about this thing philosophically. If there's evil, then there has to be, a comparison, contrast. There's got to be an opposite. Then, if there's so much evil, then there has to be good. Well, if you believe, uh, a lot of people that say that there's all this evil, then how could God allow it? And they've got to. If if they really are honest, if they believe in so much evil, they have to believe there's an opposite and that is good. Well, if there is a good and evil, then there has to be a there has to be a barometer or meter to measure it by. How, how do you measure good and evil? It has to be a moral. There has to be some type of moral reality and code that you measure it by. Well, how do we measure it? Well, I, I'll be honest with you. I've never called myself or quote-unquote said I have religion. I used to. I used to have religion, but I'm a Christian. I have a relationship. I don't have religion. Religion has done nothing more than help people exercise. Exercise they're rituals. That's all it is. And that that sounds ugly to the natural man, but us that are believers know the difference now, don't we? There's a difference between having religion, right? Ramona, we've been there. I've been there on the other side of the water where you lived. You had your religion. I had my religion, but you know what? Now we're brothers in Christ because we got the same father. It's all about a relationship. So I, I, I'll be honest with you. Doing stuff philanthropically is wonderful. I love. I mean, it tears me up. Doesn't it tear you all up when you see those, commer- you know, those commercials you got come on the TV? And please call. Please send in your money. We got these kids over in Ethiopia. Got I mean, it kills me. I want to help. But, you know, even if I gave $3 million to give grain and feed and rice uh, to the people that don't have it, it's not going to get me to heaven. I've got to make a decision. You know? And, um... I'll be quite honest with you, brother, I'm glad I don't have religion no more. <laughs> I'm, glad I'm, I'm glad I got saved. Okay, the next one, I recognize this handwriting.
1: If you believe in verbal, plenary inspiration, which I do, <laughs> how do you explain 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10? I can't explain a whole lot of things, but it don't change, you know, the fact that... Uh, You know, again, of course, it don't matter if you don't believe in verbal inspiration. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all. Good works. Um, The question, I guess the verse in question in 1 Corinthians 7.10 says, And unto the married... I command yet not I but the Lord let not the wife depart from her husband but uh, bottom line is is of course verbal plenary means literally word for word Uh, so do we believe that every word of God is inspired which is literally to be breathed by God himself uh, which uh, uh, the Bible says that he used these 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 holy men, and I think one of the one of the interesting things that there have been different uh, interpretations of, uh, of of things down down through the years as far as the the level of inspiration. Um, you know, I, I guess that uh, we either believe in verbal plenary, which means that every word of God is as God would have it to be. I believe you get into a lot of really difficult areas, like, okay, when we talk about verbal plenary inspiration, are we talking about, we got problems either when we come to our English Bibles, uh, we got all these different ones, then if we're talking about inspiration in the fact that our English Bible is being breathed by God, then uh, then we'd have to have a, a, a dog face, you know, I guess, concrete answer that men, those others you know to be need to be burned um, you know i believe there's a difference in inspiration breed i do not believe in double inspiration uh, which some would some believe, people believe that uh, english bible can correct the original well that's between them and god i sure am not going to go there i believe that uh, verbal plenary inspiration applies to the originals but i believe that god has preserved his word of course if you've ever learned a foreign language then uh, you got Sense enough to know that, uh, you know, when you go from one language to another language, then, uh, you know, sometimes to be able to 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 say the exact thing is is is, is sometimes a challenge. Uh, we have a lot of words in our English Bible that are what we call transliterated words, because there was no word in the English language to to be able to to translate that, and so they had to come up with a new word. You know, "baptize" is one of those uh, is one of those words. Um, and so uh, uh, we've got to define what we're talking about. But if you believe in verbal plenary inspiration, if you're talking about the, the original manuscripts, I do believe that every word was was given by God. Uh, at the same time, when uh, uh, Paul is speaking here, and unto the married I command, yet not I but the Lord. Yep. Okay, I was trying to figure, I said, well, you know, he said the Lord's commanding it. What's, what's that got to do with the yeah. uh, Verse 12, but to the rest speak I, not the Lord, if any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. So what we're talking about here is the fact that uh, he's saying that, uh, that by God's command, uh, let not the wife depart from her husband. Um, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. But to the rest I speak not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. Um, I think, you know, again, do we believe that God was speaking through the Apostle Paul there? The Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. God had already commanded the first part, he's, he's, he's repeating what God has already commanded uh, himself, uh, do we believe that the the second part that he's adding on here in verse 12, that is she, in other words, God said, okay, if, you know, uh, if, let not the wife depart from her, God's, God never ever wants divorce, it's never God's will, you know, God gave divorce because of man's weakness, man's sin, man's failings, not because that it was the way God ever meant for it to be. God meant one man, one woman, uh, for life forever. Uh, in Scripture, there are a few mans, but we can get off on the whole marriage thing, but I think, you know, the here, again, I have I have absolutely no problem with verbal plenary inspiration. If God is using the Apostle Paul to give us, if all Scripture is inspired and given of God, uh, then uh, if God is using the Apostle Paul and writing to this church at Corinth to give us his principles, uh, then uh, then again, I guess the question comes up, did these men know when they were penning the Word of God as we know it today, uh, did they know that uh, God was using them to write His eternal Word that was going to last forever? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, I don't, you know, I believe these, these were men of God that God was using. I believe their personalities still show through. Um, I agree with His you know, it's just like, you know, you come to the book of Hebrews, there's no dogmatic, we can't say dogmatic. I believe that it was the Apostle Paul because we can recognize his style and so many of the things that were said there is that man because God never used them as a robot, but yet I believe that God truly inspired them to write the words that he wanted uh, preserved, and I believe that he gives us principles through those men just like he was through the Apostle Paul here, even though the Apostle Paul didn't necessarily know himself at the time, uh, you know, basically, all he's saying is, God has said, "Don't put her away." Um, you know, if if uh, if she's willing to uh, to live with you, then uh, then you live with her. Uh, but then he goes on, "But to the rest I speak, and not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. Um, if somebody's a Christian, maybe you got two lost people. One gets saved, the other one is is uh, is not saved. In other words, God said, you know. Well, if uh, if one of them, uh, if if she's pleased to stay with you as a Christian, then you're still married. But if she leaves, then you got these other stipulations. Um,
0: well, he did it also. He did it also in Second Corinthians too, because he said, you know, I I tell you a story about a man that went, you know, into the third heaven, whether in the spirit or in the body, I know not, but I can't tell. You. But and and he basically, it almost sounds like he was he was. Just telling his story when you wouldn't think, you know, God speaking through him. But honestly, when holy men of old spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, it's hard for us to understand that because we're just reading it. They were literally being led to write down every word. And obviously, the God of heaven allowed him to say, you know, to write down, I'm saying it's not the Lord, but yet it's still being pinned down through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. I, that's the only way I can look at it.
1: I think it's, it's kind of hard to uh, to grasp sometimes how that God can say what he wants to say and yet say it through an individual without... He does, he's, he's not overriding their character, their personality, who they are. But I believe... I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I guess, have a problem with, with with God using them to say exactly what he wants to say but it coming out in 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 uh, in themselves in who they are, and i and i you know okay not to the same degree as 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 this, but I believe that God would lead you as Christians and that He will certainly speak to men in the pulpit and and, and others today where it's God that's using them and their personality, um, but uh, but when He was He was uh, penning His word, and and of course, it would only be fair to say, you know there are a lot of theological people out there today that don't believe in verbal plenary inspiration. Um, I struggle with a Bible that either, either it's God's Word and God gave it to me, and then all Scripture, as he says, is inspired, or if I've got to start trying to figure out, well, which parts aren't and which parts aren't. Was, was was God not God enough that if he's given us his Word and what he expects of it, that, uh, that he would give it to us? Being able to use these men and their personality, but still... Pinning it word for word as he wanted us to have it, I, you know, I, I just, I don't, uh, I'm not sure. I got, I got a couple of hands flying up around here. <laughs> our, our
0: translations, a lot of them, like you know, one I read from, maybe one that you study. Sometimes even, even will add words, you know, in italic. So in italics, so we will, it'll, it'll just make us understand it a little bit better. Um, Anything you read in the King question. James Bible that's in italics is simply to make it make sentence
1: structure sense yeah. in our language, but they're being honest with this, and, okay, that wasn't there in the original, but it wouldn't be in our proper sentence structure without putting it there, you know. Yeah. That's that's what I was saying earlier, that, that that as far as to a much lesser degree, because he's not preserving his word yeah, for Yeah, it's us, not being
0: preserved. But it's like when I get up to preach, God can preserved.
1: give me a message that he wants to get across. Now, you know, it's just like... It's like when I experienced my most embarrassing moment. I don't believe that uh, that was God's inspiration. <laughs> that was <laughs> definitely preservation. <laughs> you know, we we are still forever, human mind. beings, and we are still fallible. Uh, <laughs> we we are still fallible, but 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 this is why you know that the canon of Scripture that we have in whole, You know, again, we believe that God was working in those sixty-six books in a very special way to preserve that for us. So again. God gave His His preserved Word for us. We certainly see, you know, that uh, you know everybody doesn't preach the same way, the same styles. Personalities come through, and yet God can use those things, and that's that's a much lesser degree. Um, and and I guess Tyler, I mean, I wouldn't even begin to think that it's easy for us to to grasp and understand what God does a lot of times in the way that He does it. Um, I believe in. Inspiration because the Bible teaches inspiration. I believe that when God originally gave it, I believe that uh, those men were moved by God and that we had it word for word as God God wanted it. I believe that's why I stated, I think, while you were out that I really, really struggle with, with those today that would believe in double inspiration and things like that because God breathed his word one time through those holy men. Um, what we have today is a preservation of that in a translation of the original and uh, and we have to go with where we believe that uh the most accurate translation is and men have all kind of different views on that and respect them for it. I have mine I use the Bible that I use because of the choices i 've made but uh, uh i think I think the hard thing a lot of times is uh you know how can god we almost did God dictate it uh did God mechanically write it through those men? Uh how could he do that and their personality still be there? I think it is hard for us to understand those things. Uh and, and I wouldn't pretend that it's not, and not trying to, to to shorten it, but I do believe that uh, if we've got God's word, we either believe that he inspired it and gave it to us, and I believe in verbal plenary inspiration. Um and I would be Scared to death to try to figure out what parts were God's and what parts were man's if I didn't. <laughs> it, uh, this was for Brian. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> it don't say that, but I said that. <laughs> is wow. That, is that inspired? I don't know how we're supposed to. It wasn't inspired by me, brother. <laughs> Promise you I didn't breathe this. <laughs> okay, I'm I'm talking about passing the torch. I'm not I'm not uh, yeah that passing the torch. I think that might have been inspiration. Um, this is the same handwriting, it looks like <clears throat> so, so. I just said this is suspiciously the same handwriting. Did you put more than one piece of paper in? somebody's yeah. Somebody's got to say it didn't look exactly, it looked like he was trying to disguise it a little bit. <laughs> That's probably Nathan's. Then are you guys trying to come? Now this one's really going to get a, a, an answer in. Probably here five days and still no answer, really. Can you explain the difference between Calvinism, Armenianism, and Molinism? <laughs> Can you explain the difference between Calvinism, Armenianism, and Molinism?
0: They're they're all the difference. The difference is the words sound, the words are spelled differently, and the similarity is they're all man-made philosophies from isms in the Bible. I don't have time to answer that question. I don't even know what Mullenism is, and I've been in the ministry. I've been in the ministry since 1993, bud. It must be real important because I've never had to face it mean, honestly, if, if <laughs> we're going to ask, have q and A, I've got a question. What is Molinism? Is that the one that has hyperlapsianism and hype? I mean, I, I would just recommend, instead of worrying
1: about Calvinism and Arminianism and Molinism, worry about Bibleism. <laughs> <laughs> hey! <bro. laughs> uh... Yeah, I like to confuse people. Yeah, and and that's what you know. Some think I'm Calvinist. Some think I'm Armenian. Some think I'm just downright crazy. But uh, you know, I I don't care if they ever figure out what man I line up with or not. As long as I'm preaching the
0: Bible, amen. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a I'm Calvinian. What's what's this next one? I'm a Calvinian.
1: What are differences? And what is the ambulance? What? And I know who this one is. And he usually does the same thing one easy, one hard. How can God guarantee good for his people without predestinating good? God can do anything he wants to do. (laughs) And you can't do anything about it.
0: Crazy Egyptians. They're so intellectual. Intellectual. Uh, Egyptians are so intellectual. (laughs) 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 Go ahead.
1: Well, you know, I don't know. You know, again, you know, yeah. The the last one's one we already discussed about Judas, anyway. Okay. Uh, And I guess you know just. uh, He's quoting that verse of Judas Repent, which means he could have been saved, but most Christians believe he was cursed. Could the blood of Christ save him? Absolutely, 100% it could have. I hope it did, but the Bible don't tell me that that he trusted in it, you know, so, you know, that's, that, that's thing to cope. How can God guarantee good for his people without predestinating good? That uh, And, uh, you know, again... I believe that pre- predestination, predetermination. I believe Romans chapter eight is one of the uh, uh, the finest passages in in, in the Bible to uh, uh, to really confuse us on that matter, uh, which is what we really are looking for. Uh, but uh, Romans chapter eight and. Uh, I like this. I can get excited about this. kind of, And it kind of ties it all together. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. And, uh, man, I like preaching on that, and I like saying, man, you know, did you ever notice, I mean, there is nothing, nothing in there that's future tense. It's all done. It's all done. Uh, it's all past tense. As far as God's concerned, it's accomplished. He can't start something that He doesn't finish. We are all predestined, predetermined to be just like Jesus one day. There is no question about that. Uh, now We can do it the hard way, we can do it the easy way sometimes, just like our kids do uh, along the way. We will be conformed into the image of Christ. Uh, and I believe that uh, that that it's it's a done thing that cannot be changed that is a, As far as you know, by the same token, I don't think that God predetermines that uh, you know that next time that uh, you upset Rosemary, she has to smack you upside the head. You know, and uh, <laughs> that didn't have to happen, brother. You didn't have to do that. You know, you chose to do that, so don't blame it on God. But all <laughs> things work together for good. You'll learn from it so that you don't ever make that same mistake again. You
0: know. <laughs> Your two short questions. All right yeah spoken like past for instance like for instance, when she asked Do, does this make me look does this blouse make me look uh, yeah <laughs> i man a brother i'm telling- I'm glad I'm not Abraham Lincoln, you know, who always said spoke the truth and got him in a lot of trouble <laughs> well the <laughs> Truth about truth about it is that you know we 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 as we as we as mates we as mates are gonna always we're not always gonna be it's not always gonna be perfect you know cohabitation and unity there's always gonna be divisions but that doesn't have anything to do with our genuine love for one another there's gonna be skirmishes friction when you get close to somebody it causes friction you get close. when you get close to people, like friendships or your marriage, that's the risk that you run. Is when you get close to folks, there's going to be friction because you're going to rub together. You know. I look at it this way: a man's a man's mind is like one screen, like one computer screen with zero pop-ups, nothing on it, just one screen, one picture, preferably a sporting event, just right there. A woman is like Thirteen computer screens with thirty-seven pop-ups on every screen. That's the difference between a male and a female.
1: How many of you were here last year for the conference? Mm. Do you remember when we discussed all that on Impact Your World?
0: Yeah, <laughs> in great detail. <laughs> Brother Downey, what was you gonna say? I think, I think it comes with time. I do. There are a lot of things that. Uh, I used to do because are a lot of things that I thought and I felt even when I read the Scripture with a preconception based upon fearing whether I would be accepted or not by a certain group of people, by a certain association, where I would be invited back or not invited back, and I think you got to get down to where the Scripture says in Proverbs twenty nine twenty five, The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. And just let the Holy Spirit of God lead. Uh, listen, if, if the Holy Spirit of God cannot lead us and direct us and illuminate what has already been written, we really got bigger problems than we ever thought if the Holy Spirit can't do his job, and he can. So that's the way I've, I look at it.
1: Okay, I want to give you guys a bit of chance to rest, but let me let me ask you this: As far as uh, did anybody have a question that didn't get answered, or I know it's hard because you got to realize a lot of these a lot of these questions you don't answer in just a couple of minutes. Something that you asked that uh, that was we didn't really give you the answer you were looking for. Is there anybody you know that because uh, we uh, I know we have a laugh sometimes, we'll be serious. Mm-hmm. Well, I think there are a lot of things. Again, you know, you're not going to answer it quickly, but you know, even even going back to the manuscripts that most Bibles are translated from, you know, why? I mean, again, things change. Like you know, when they first found the Sunny and, and and the Vaticanists, and when Tischendorf found those, you know, when he found the Sunny if you if you really study and find out, you'll get some different. Uh, You'll get some slightly different, but one thing that you'll find out for sure, whether they were in the trash can, as some say, or whether they were beside the fire being used to start the fire with, the the manuscripts that were found there, they were not treated like manuscripts of an ill. These these manuscripts had notations on the sides and, and, and all kinds of things had been made. They weren't being treated as anything valuable, that's for sure. Uh, the Vaticanus manuscripts, again, when he went there, uh, first of all, when they found out he's trying to copy them, they uh, they got rid of him, uh, and then later they allowed him to come back and copy those uh, those those things and whatnot. Um, there, there's a lot of things. Did did God not preserve His Word for us? Uh, one to start with, they all everybody thought that those were older than the uh, than the received text. Uh, well, then they can find out. Well, you know, number one, being older doesn't necessarily mean that it's better or that it's the right one just because it's been there longer. Uh, you know whether it's right or wrong, it could have been there longer. But now they've changed their minds on a lot of that as well. Um, you know, I come back. I'm not. I don't, I don't think that uh, I don't have any worries about them finding anything that's going to disprove the Bible. That's for sure. <laughs> um, and uh, and has God not had His word here for all these all these years? Have we been without it? Um, and so it doesn't. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother my faith if they want to keep digging and, and finding. You know, there's so many, so many. You know, uh, between the the partial copies and the segments and all these things, you know, some five thousand copies, you know, that are that are out there. You know, I, I just don't have any doubt whatsoever in God's word being what we need it to be, and it, and it stood the test of time. Um, you know, again, there's nothing been found in the Dead Sea Scrolls that's significant that 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 would change our Bibles anyway. Um, you know, different men, great men through the years have, have had different feelings about the Apocrypha, whether it should be part of it or not part of it and whatnot. It doesn't change any doctrine, whether you take it or don't. You know, I don't I don't believe this there, but it's not it's anything that's gonna change any any foundational major doctrine in the Word of God. Um and uh and so you know again I wouldn't worry about it. I'd I'd be more concerned, you know, about the facts, you know, of of do you believe that what you've got is the word of God? Uh, has God kept his word in preserving it for you? Can you can you stake your now and your eternity upon upon what you have there? Um, and, I mean, you know, I can't change what they find. And and I find some of that stuff interesting when I read about it. Uh, but they've never found, never, ever, ever found anything to disprove God's word. Um, and uh, so I think, you know, that uh, um, there's no point in worrying about a lot of things that uh, you're not going to change what they can or can't find. But I don't... I have not the least bit worries if, if, if they find anything of significance, uh, whether it'll change it or not. Jensen? It's always been a thing. I, th- I would say that the most of what we would consider orthodox traditional theology right down through the centuries uh, has believed that children, though you can't be saved without putting your faith and trust in Christ... Uh, Most, for for, for many different things, even even when David's baby died, most would believe that that child is safe until they reach that age of accountability. Now, what is that age? When do they become responsible? When do they become accountable for their sin? Uh, I would struggle with the idea that they're judged upon what their life would have been because God knows all things. There was never any possibility of their life being more. God already knew they were going to die at that age. There was never going to be any more to their life, not because God did it, but because of God's foreknowledge. Um, And, uh, you know, I would simply say that, uh, you know, I think it becomes difficult a lot of times when you've got some people that may physically uh, reach an older age, but mentally, uh, they've never had that capacity to be able to fully understand the gospel. I can't take you to a specific chapter and verse that says God spelled it out this way, but I believe that we we certainly find enough Scripture in text to believe that we can say that uh, that child is safe. Some have tried to put ages on there. You know, everybody's okay till they're 12 years old and at that point then you've got to be confirmed, you know, and blah, blah, blah. I don't see that the Bible puts an age. I think children can reach that age of accountability at different ages. Uh, but uh, I believe they're judged on the life that they did live, not on what they could have lived. Um, I believe the Scripture shows us that uh, when we leave this world, if we have left this world at an age that we became accountable for our sin because we knew what sin was, then, uh, uh, then we're accountable for it. Uh, if a child leaves this world before then, uh, that child left in innocence, it never, it never knew what sin was? Even though we can see sin, we can see the baby crying out, rebelling, you know, not wanting this, and all these. You don't have to teach them those things, because it is part of their the original sin that uh, that's been inherited there. Um, but that child has not come to a point that they can possibly, you know. Again, some would disagree with that, but not many. Uh, most would would believe that that the
0: nature it's a sin nature it's not actually the act of sin i said that this week we're not uh, we're not we're not sinners because we sin we sin because we're sinners we were born that way um, you don't have to enough. teach you don't have to teach a kid you don't have to take a kid to rebellion school at, at 6 months 8 months a year and 5 months get ready they'll shake they'll shake the crib and stand up and Scream till they're as red as your mother's dress until they get what they want and then they're fine. <laughs> That's you know nobody taught them that they learned that that they didn't learn it they were born that way, and so um a lot of people have asked about this age you know when is a person accountable and uh, to understand it can be different from 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 three years old. I've known kids that said they got saved when they were four. Now, I don't know how they remember that. Cause I can't remember back, you know, till maybe about seven, eight, seven or eight years old. I can remember stuff back then, but it's different. Anybody, you can be four, you could be fourteen. It just depends, I guess, on the mental, mental intellect of a of a of a person. But uh, I like to say that that age of when a person understands what sin is and can repent of it, and know that they're a sinner, is a perfect example. Is my son used to run around the house naked, and then all of a sudden one day it was just fully aware to him that, that he didn't want a lot of people looking at him naked. He stopped that mess. He run he went in his room to change. He did, it embarrassed him. It, that was about six years old for him. Well, you know, what happened to Adam and Eve? Conscience was birthed, what happened? They saw themselves as naked, hid themselves. Their conscience was born and that's when, you know, the conviction began to set in. Uh, that age could be different than any person. Could be four, could be 14, could be seven, could be eight. You know, mentally handicapped people. You know, I believe they're safe in the arms of Jesus. They don't know how to hear, understand, and receive the gospel. They just don't know how. So they're safe. Just like, you know, David's baby went to heaven, and David said, I, I can go to him. He can't come to me, but I can go to him. We're well, born with sin, and it's sin.
1: So I mean, if you want to look at it that way, you know, it's uh, again, you know, it's it's sin. The Bible calls it sin, just like any other sin that needs to be repented of and needs to be forgiven. Um, you know, just like a lot of sins in your life, you know, <laughs> you could ask the same thing about a murderer or a liar or a drunk or anything else. They're born with that sin nature, which uh, you know that results from, but you know, it may not have come to fruition until they were. You know, 10 years old or 20 years old or 30 years old or whatever. Uh, and so I, I believe that every man is born a sinner and that sin nature is there and that that's just a sin just like any other sin that uh, uh, that man uh, commits and he's got to have forgiveness for it. Kind of like the really, you know, posh saying we used to have where I come from, you know, don't wall in the hog pen with the hogs if you don't want to get mud on you. you know? mm-hmm. <laughs> but... Uh, going to have its influence
0: at the root uh tibby at the root of every sin what what it whatever it is at the very root of it is pride and uh god is just as disappointed and uh, and, and 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 grieved over somebody that's uh, uh proud of their sin whether it be homosexuality or whether it be drunkenness or whether it be envy because let's let's be honest Sodom and Gomorrah would not they weren't they weren't destroyed primarily because of homosexuality. You read Ezekiel 16. Go and study it out. Ezekiel 16, the first thing says, This is the sin, Ezekiel said. He said, Jerusalem, listen, this was the sin of thy sister Sodom. And the first words pride. They were proud of what they were. I don't care. If you're a bank robber and you're proud of what you are, it's no different. <laughs> it's sin and you're proud of it, and God hates pride, that's the, that's the, that's the issue at hand. You know, I'm going to be honest with you. God Can God save a person like it? Yeah, you repent of it and don't be proud about it, God can save you from it. But when you stand up and you're arrogant about it, you know, that's, that's the big issue. Does that mean we shouldn't have that gay pride rally next Sunday? That's right. <laughs> Isn't that kind of ironic that that's what they call their marches? Gay pride. It's not Sean, she's been she's had her hand up Shawn. for several times here. <laughs> yeah. I think the practical answer though is Tibby asked they born into it or they make a choice. I th- I think it's the latter, not the former. More I don't think, the I don't think they I, sin, Yeah, I sin. don't think that I don't think they're born that way. I think you make a choice. Every sin like, you ever uh, commit is by choice. It's a choice, it? yeah. Antonio the question throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is whose will is going to be predominant. Is it going to be God's will or your will? And God's, God's not going to, um, like I said, God's not going to drag you through broken glass for you to repent or you to get right about it. Um, I think it comes to lordship. I said it last night. You know, Jesus Christ has, been, has, be, has become Savior, but he must become Lord And uh, we talked about that a little bit this morning. You know, you, you got the call to salvation. Then you got the call to service. But you've got to have the call to surrender. You know, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And that's full surrender. White flag. Let it go. You want to answer? What? There's no way. Well, first of all, it goes all the way back to one of the convictions that we live by, one of the fundamentals of the faith. We believe... Uh, that he was born of a virgin, okay? He didn't have an earthly father. There's no way he could have a sinful nature because the Bible says in Romans 5:12, as wherefore as by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world and death by sin, so then death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Well, that all includes us. It don't include Christ because he was born of a virgin, the only one that was ever born spotless and sinless. And so I don't care what the last temptation of Christ says. I don't care about any of these movies. And they say he was tempted to have a, a relationship with Mary Magdalene or any of that. No. No. He was the spotless, sinless lamb of God. If he wasn't, then we are of all men most miserable because our sins are not forgiven. There had to be a Paschal lamb to be killed for the sacrifice. He was the sinless lamb. I think, And I think part of what you're asking, Jensen,
1: is if he if he, if he wasn 't how could he be tempted hmm. in the same ways that we were if he doesn 't have the same sinful nature that uh, that we have and, and you know i don't i don 't think it 's easy to understand, let alone explain how that uh, Jesus Christ could be one hundred percent God and one hundred percent man at the same time? How could he, as a man, feel and face everything that we face uh, and yet never cease to be God? Um, and I, I'm certainly not big enough to, to understand, let alone, you know, uh, explain that fully. But uh, I believe what the Bible is telling us, that he came as a man facing everything that we face. Um, yes, the preacher pointed it out. You know, when when he went there on the mountain, Satan himself came to him and tempted him. Uh, you know, Jesus' answer was, it is written. Uh, he Jesus himself used the Word of God when he was... Uh, Fighting against the temptation that Satan
0: brought with him, and uh, well, let's be practical too. Temptation's not sin. That's right. Yielding. I mean, don't you think? Yeah,
1: I, I think. I think a lot of times, you know, how do we define nature? You know, when we talk about our nature, that's why I get back. You know, and and again, I'm. It's not picking six because I know good men that explain it both ways as far as whether we've got. Uh, these two natures that are always warring against the other, the Bible never uses that term. It's something that man has come up with to try to explain uh, this conflict that goes on on within us. Um, you know, how do we describe the nature of man? I mean, I, I'm, when I talk about the nature of man, I'm talking about that which is natural for him. If he is born uh, with a sin nature, the natural thing for a lost person is to sin. Uh, because that's, that's what is the seat of everything that he is. Yet when we become a Christian, that's why I, you know, for me, it's easier in my mind to grasp, not to use man's terminology of two natures fighting against each other. Uh, but that, you know, I've, 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 I've told this church, the, uh, the illustration of the little girl, uh, she'd gone before, happened to be a Presbyterian. It was a Presbyterian church. And, uh, Uh, She had accepted Christ, and she wanted to be baptized and become a member of the church. So she goes before the Presbytery, the elders in the church, and uh, uh, they ask her the question, you know, well, because she was like 12 years old, well, how do you know that you're a Christian? How do you know that you've been saved? And she kind of thought for a moment, and then she went back, and she explained it this way, and she said in her simple words, she said, well, she said, I only know how to explain it like this. That's that before I became a Christian, I was chasing after sin. Since i become a Christian, sin's chasing after me. <laughs> uh, sin's always there. Uh, but it's the natural thing for us when we don't have Jesus Christ, that sin nature. It is the natural thing for us to be. Once the Holy Spirit moves in and it's Jesus Christ, the natural thing should be for Christ to come through our lives. But we've still got the old sin-cursed flesh. And, and that's where our, I believe man's greatest battle in all this world is his own flesh. Uh, his own self um and uh and so I, you know i i think that uh, that coming back to uh, uh to to jesus you know it's it's we don't know anything to compare that to how can we ever understand anything that we know everything that we uh, again I've, I've talked to people everything that we come to understand the only way we learn is by that which we already know uh i've used the illustration many times you know what does uh What does that rattlesnake taste like? Your mind's spinning, and you know, you used to come out with something, well, kind of like chicken, you know? I mean, what are you gonna describe it to? Rattlesnake tastes like rattlesnake. Well, you don't know what rattlesnake is, so the only thing you can do, that's like if you look through the book of Revelation, you find those three words over and over again, as it were, as it were, as it were. Mm -hmm. John's trying to describe something in this natural world that he's seen in another world. There's nothing here to compare it. There's not the same thing here. So he's, telling, you know, we would kind of use it. Well, it was kind of like, it was kind of like chicken. You know, it was kind of like, you know, he's, he's comparing it to the known to give us an idea of, of, of the unknown. And, uh, and so I think a lot of times, you know, that, uh, you know, there's some things we can never fully understand. there is nothing in this world like Jesus Christ, except Jesus himself. Um, and we're trying to understand with our little finite minds. And, and it is hard for us to grasp again. How that he could not have that sin nature, uh, how he could be a hundred percent man, without ceasing to be God, um, and yet be tempted and always like as we were, yet without sin. Um, you know, it's. Uh, I don't think we can ever fully grasp it, but we can understand he came, humbled himself to be the lowest man that could, to face the same things that we face in this life and everything that we go through. Um, And yet he never, ever, ever, ever sinned, never succumbed to that temptation. As the preacher's already said, you know, for us, it's not the temptation that's the sin. It's what we do with that temptation when it comes. We have a choice. You've never, ever, ever committed any sin in your life. We we kid a lot of times, you know, if you're going to be a really strong hyper-Calvinist, you know, and, and, and something bad comes along in your life... Well, I'm glad that's over with, you know, because it was coming one way or the other. I'm glad to get that out of the way. Um, you know, the truth is, is that you've never ever, God has never preordained for you to sin. Uh, every time you sin, you've sinned because you chose to sin. If you've got a sinful nature, you don't have any other choice. Uh, you know, that's, that's all you know. Uh, but once Christ comes in, you do have a choice. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, uh, hopefully that hopefully <laughs> answers what you're asking there. Well, guys, we enjoy it, hopefully. Hopefully that uh, preachers love talking about the Bible. Christians love talking about the Bible. Just give us an excuse. Amen. <laughs> um, well, let's, uh, you know, thank thank God for our time and uh, those that have got to go, that are going to be leaving, then we're sad to see you go. That's always the sad part. But uh, hopefully, hopefully somebody's going to stay for the six o'clock service. Amen. <laughs> Will you preach to me if I'm the only one here, brother? Sure. Amen. That, uh, but uh, God bless you for being here. Well, let's have another word of prayer and let's pray for these others that are uh, that are leaving. Thank God for what He's done. And uh,
0: Maybe Pastor Brian will pray for us, amen. Lord. Thank you so much for the time that we've had together this afternoon. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, help my my friends to get home safely. Uh, here that are leaving, I thank God for them and thank God for the uh, the Q and A time. And I hope that it's brought some uh, comfort and peace and ease. Some of the answers uh, to some of these difficult questions, like forgiveness and getting over hurts in the past. That's really where we live, Lord. Is is uh, uh, the difficulties uh, sometimes, and we dwell on those. But Lord, I thank you that we've given, been given promises that um, uh, that uh, in this world we'll have tribulation. But thank God you said be of good cheer. You overcome the world. So I pray that you just uh, have your will in your way in each and every one of our lives. And uh, Lord, guard and guide uh, these young people and their leaders uh, to, to, to seek your face and to uh, to try to accomplish the will of God in their life. And Lord, I'll love you and praise you for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen.